Welcome to Now Open the Podcast, the sex education podcast that's more sex than education. I'm Trisha. My name is Kai. And I am Jobim. This week, we talk about the nuances uh, involved when talking about sex and sexuality, because it seems like with every new ideology, the pendulum tends to swing a little bit too far both ways before settling somewhere down in the middle. And it's not uncommon for social movements to be co-opted, weaponized, or corrupted. Like the sound on this video every time a motorcycle passes by. Uh, with liberal ideas having been on the up and up these past few years, it's only par for the course that we're starting to feel some sort of pushback in some subtle and not so subtle ways. How we talk about sex is constantly evolving. So let's dive into where the conversation is today and how we got there. This is part one of how we talk about sex, where we'll talk about how the conversation around the anti-porn movement is changing or not, and the nuances of feminism, self-policing, and sex work. Trigger warnings, sex, sexuality, rape, consent, sexual assault, misogyny, kink, and abuse, and or abuse. This podcast deals with themes, languages, and situations that may not be suitable for young audiences. If you're under the age of 18, parental guidance isn't going to help you here. If you're listening live and you like what you hear, you can join the discussion by leaving a comment below. And if we have time, we'll get to them as the show goes on. Okay, let's kick things off with the juicy bits. Here's the anti-porn movement. What? People who don't like porn? Yes, it's true. They exist. The anti-porn movement has been around since the fig leaf. But the modern movement as we know it goes as far back as the 1970s, most notably in the U.S. Carolyn Bronstein, who literally wrote the book on the subject, author of Battling Pornography, the American Feminist Anti-Pornography Movement, 1976 to 1986, talks about how the anti-porn movement grew from a disagreement between the lesbian BDSM community in the San Francisco Bay Area and the feminist anti-pornography movement, who were concerned with the potential social harm of depicting violence in ways that foster oppression. Do you guys know this? No. The anti-porn I mean, movement started it. with the BDSM community. With a that lesbian makes a BDSM. lot of sense and is also really disheartening. <laughs> well, yeah, because uh, the National Organization for Women, uh, or NOW, declared in 1980 that sadomasochism and pornography constituted violence, not sex, and were inherently dangerous, right? They, they wanted what was best for women at the time, but had very different views as to what the quote-unquote best actually was. At the beginning, it wasn't even about pornography. You see, initially, the feminist anti-pornography movement was not about opposing media images of sex, but sexual violence, believing that, quote, the glorified images of sexual violence evident in mainstream advertising, television, and Hollywood films taught women to accept brutal treatment as their due and taught men that rape, battering, and other forms of physical abuse were normal and expected part of male sexuality. Their goal was to depict men and women in socially responsible ways, not ban pornography. So how did we get to the anti-porn movement from, hey, 
let's have porn where men don't beat women up. I will um, say though that like this kind of attitude where we correlate sexuality with violence or like put them on the same level is still seen today where you look at movie censor like movie rating boards or whatever they rate action films where there's like lots of death mm-hmm. and you know people getting hurt as like more okay for younger audiences than a consensual almost wholesome kiss between two right. people of the same sex. And like, you right. can see how they're kind of like equating like expressions of sexuality and like violence, even just with things like that. I mean, video games, it's, I mean, like you can have hundreds upon hundreds of shoot 'em up video games where people are blowing each other's heads off, but God forbid you can get a hooker in one of them, you know what I mean? <laughs> or have sex in one of them. It's just right. not somehow worse. Uh, but yeah, how did we get to anti pornography if all they wanted was just like fair depictions of men and women in mainstream media due to the need for recruitment the need to generate funding and pressure from news media basically you know regular internal politics when you're when you're an organization and no longer just a movement among other factors these organizations made a strategic and media savvy choice to put the anti-violence agenda aside in favor of a broader easier to digest message, finding an easy target in pornography, which was a hotly debated topic at the time. You have to remember, this was uh, in the 80s, the Reagan era, right? This was say no to drugs. This was hyper conservatism. This was traditional values 2.0 on steroids, right? So when these feminists who just wanted more responsible depictions of men and women in pornography found that they could like, we have an atmosphere where we can have a voice here. We just have to target the right thing, right? They did the next best thing for themselves and just went after pornography across the board. And you know what? Uh, Reagan America ate it up. They were like, nom, 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 nom. I love this uh, anti-porn thing. It's corrupting the children. It's horrible. The November, and this continued, right? Uh, all the way up until the 90s. So if you think that this anti-porn thing, we have articles uh, all the way, in 2016 talking about Oh, uh, anti-porn is gaining followers. It's gaining traction. Oh, no, this this is an article from November of 1992 from The Atlantic, which featured an article entitled Feminists Against the First Amendment that talks about how right-wing activists advocating traditional values co-opted feminist rhetoric by focusing the blame of violence against women on pornography. You see how they can attack the rhetoric from different points of view to just right. fit whatever narrative they want, depending on what point in time we are in history. Right. In 1992, now it's about by focusing the blame on pornography, we are negating the all the other influences, the, the systematic influences that promote violence against women. So you're shutting other people up, right? So over time, the, the, the message just gets a little bit confused depending on whose agenda we're following. Right. Uh, This constant tug of war in the conversation about pornography and women's rights continues today with all the same players dressed up a little differently. In 2016, the Washington Post published, the anti-porn movement is growing. The public is just catching up. After Utah passed a resolution declaring pornography as, quote, a public health crisis. Too many people jerking off in Utah, I guess. In 2015, the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, this is concerning, right? Because you hear an organization has a name like the National Center on Sexual Exploitation, and you're like, these these must be good guys, right? right? Successfully persuaded Walmart to remove Cosmopolitan from checkout stands, citing hypersexualized media bombarding young girls. Oh my God, okay. 
So yeah, so like, where do we draw the line, right? Uh, when we talk right. about these things, it's such a slippery slope because you can agree with one thing and then roll your eyes at the next, but they're essentially fighting for the same thing. The anti-porn movement has gained new traction thanks to the kind of rhetoric that thrives in the hashtag MeToo era. A 2018 article from The Guardian talks about how conservative rhetoric is being used to capitalize on the growing atmosphere of gender consciousness, uh, saying porn has been cast as empowering by some feminists, but activists say that that misses the choicelessness of the vast majority of women who work in the industry, many of whom are forced in, uh, into it by economic necessity or other circumstance. So now, now, the framework is being retooled because we're talking about agency and we're talking about consent. So it's the same. It's the same old argument, but just dressed right. up. And it always just it always just differs per like historical context, but it's the same mm -hmm. thing that's just mm -hmm. really not progressing. Mm -hmm. Like I you have know, a, mm -hmm. I have a feeling that this argument or this idea of empowerment versus walakan ng no choice. <laughs> under capitalism you know mm -hmm. i feel like this is going to come up a lot today because i feel yes. like a lot of this can really be summed up into that idea of class where in a world where we are all slaves to the wages and you know we all have to participate in this oppressive exploitative system otherwise you can literally die mm -hmm. um or you you won't have like a very good life then can you make these choices Right. That's, I think, going to be a question that we're going to be seeing a lot today. Definitely. I think the, the reason that the anti-porn uh, movement gains so much traction every once in a while is because it's kind of an easy catch-all movement to hop onto when you're addressing corruption of the youth or, mm -hmm. or feminism. Right. At any given time. You know, like I'm actually writing like my thesis right now on like the youth and sex ed, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what I'm finding is that the argument that people often have when it comes to the youth is that they cannot make their own choices. And like, for example, with sex ed, it's like in they, they've consulted literally everyone about the sex ed curriculum except those except kids. kids. Except the kids. Not I mean not like little kids, but you know, like like kids who have I want to know certain things, mm -hmm. and I feel this idea that we always have to protect, like that we have to protect the children no matter what, you know, which makes sense. But where do you draw the line between, like, you know, allowing kids to kind of figure out for themselves what things should be versus going for your own agenda, masking it as like protecting the kids? Right. I mean, I think it's even funny that protect the kids is an argument that comes up because there is a reason why porn is 18 plus. I mean, yes. of course, if we are being realistic, none of us waited till we were 18. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, I, I remember yeah. even doing the math do in my head yeah. just so I remembered exactly what year I need to input just so it's like 18, 19, 20 years old somewhere there. Yeah. yeah, you knew every year you had to change it in your mind. Like this was the year I was born. I remember when I turned 18, one of the first things I thought of was, yay, I don't have to fake my age anymore. <laughs> I was like, what are the things I, I was excited about? Join in on the conversation on the now open PH Discord server, where you'll be free to talk about anything and everything sexuality with like-minded people. Respectfully, of course. Just mind your P's and Q's. You can find the link to the server in the episode description. Before we get further into the discussion tonight... Here is the newsstand. 
more than a year, Sonia Doe faced humiliating strip searches in front of male guards, faced sexual harassment, discrimination, and physical threats from correction officers and inmates alike. Joe, who was a trans woman, was transported to four different men's prisons across New Jersey from March 2018 to August 2019. And it took a lawsuit filed that August for Doe to finally be transported to a woman's prison weeks later. And as part of the settlement for that lawsuit, the New Jersey Department of Corrections will now make it customary for prisoners who identify as transgender, intersex, or non-binary to be assigned a prison stay in line with their gender identity and not with the sex they were assigned to at birth. Nice. Yeah. I mean, like, congratulations to the mm -hmm. to the institutionalized slavery system in America. That is a step forward in the right direction. It's like that meme about, um, yeah, I heard the next missiles will be sent by a woman. It's kind of like that. It's like <laughs> progress. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, look, right. this is a very this is a very real issue facing uh, trans prisoners in the U.S. And since so many other countries follow suit with uh, U.S. legislature. I think any small progress in the right direction is a win. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because, Definitely. you know, staying in prison ideally should be rehabilitative and not like punitive mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. put trans people through like all that dysphoria um, all over again yeah. by assigning them to like the wrong prison. Like that's an extra level of cruelty that should not be present in any prison system ever. Mm -hmm. no. So I'm glad that they're doing this, but also abolish the for-profit prison system of the United <laughs> States. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. I think that, like, you know, I've I've read a few things about, like, how, I mean, the, like, the, the, the correction system in the States is very skewed, at least in the racial, in, in racial matters. Like, what I've read about thus far, like, I learned that there's more there's more Black people in the, in, in the prison mm -hmm. system in the States as compared to, like, how many Black people were enslaved during the slave trade now mm -hmm. like today are you and, for real yeah, yeah in the new jim crow that was what she wrote about and mm -hmm. and, and having read this 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 new stand for this news bit it was it, it makes me think like is how are the other ways that the justice system is skewed like is this like like how is this something that it makes me doubt it like is this something that really is a step in, in, in the right direction or is this still like something that is it a something that they're masking in order to do something else? I don't know. I'm just being like, I guess I'm just so doubtful when it comes to like the justice system. Yeah, that it's, like it's, whenever something good happens, I'm like, what's the, what's the catch? You know, it's definitely yeah. something good being done in an institution that is undoubtedly evil, right? So right, it's like, right. it's a bitter, it's a double edged sword. It's a bittersweet situation. It's like, uh, it's like saying, oh, um, the slaves are now being given two meals a day. So you know, like yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Yay, yay! I guess yeah, yeah. cool. And uh, that was the newsstand. Now sitting down. Now back to the show. Uh, I think Trisha and Kai might have a lot to say about this next bit because it's about um, fe feminism, sex work, and um, the self policing and the pressure that intersectional feminists. Uh, experience just by you know just by being you know you always constantly have to it's a, it's a minefield you have to navigate sarah j baker describes in her essay the unbearable wokeness of women 
the kind of self-policing that women, particularly intersectional feminists, encounter often. Intersectional feminists are in a constant state of checking their privilege and monitoring their language, hyper-vigilant in their efforts to be inclusive, not appropriating, not erasing, all around decent human beings. Uh, the video essay, Everything Wrong with Woke Culture and Its Impact on Feminism, looks at what it calls woke feminism through the lens of popular movies and TV shows, both original properties like Mulan and Captain Marvel, and female-led vehicles like the Charlie's Angels and Ghostbusters reboots. And it, the author points out why she preferred certain female characters over ones that didn't work, offering the criticism that the emphasis on the character's femininity or feminine identity was heavy-handed, or in the case of Batgirl, unearned. The true criticism, however, uh, is that any of the criticisms of these characters is immediately invalidated as hate, thereby, you know, she felt, she felt policed, she felt like she had to check herself all the time, pointing out that woke feminine, quote, woke fe feminism thinks that if you don't like these characters, then you are sexist. This is the next mistake of woke feminism. There is no such thing as legitimate criticism. No, any criticism of these totally incredible characters must be born out of bitter jealousy and a deep desire to keep women down. That if you dislike a female character, it's because she possesses power and we are more comfortable with seeing women in subservient positions. Even we women who criticize them don't, uh, don't apparently realize the years of brainwashing we've undergone that has told us that a woman's place is one step behind a man, if not in the kitchen. Do you guys uh, experience pushback from women uh, women who call themselves feminists or women who don't align with that. And how does that feel as, as somebody who is so in touch with, you know, uh, what, what it is exactly you were fighting for? Oh my God. Like, you know, I've, I've experienced this so many times, especially like given that, you know, my advocacy is really, it, it really boils down to women's sexual rights, to women's right. reproductive rights. You know, that's really like what I stand for. And I have been called a fake feminist. I've been called like a brown, a white feminist with brown skin because of how I stand for like sexuality and reproduction and how we should be able to harness these rights, you know? And I think the issue is like we're a feminism. It's not like other movements where they can really be one consolidated whole in mm -hmm. feminism, everyone inside is like, there might be like, there's agreement that's fine. Yeah, all women are oppressed, right? That, that, there's that agreement. Fine, women are oppressed in some way. And there's an effort to change that situation. But the way we understand how women are oppressed, how we should change it, is different per like strand of feminism. And everyone thinks they're right. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 so like, I think I'm right. They think they're right. And when, when one party thinks they're when right versus right, goes against each other i think that's when like issues really do like that's when division happens mostly and i think that's kind of the issue sarah j baker actually talks about it in her essay about how because female rage has so long been suppressed by uh by has been oppressed by men it has been suppressed for such a long time and feminists are constantly having to walk this tightrope of trying to fight for change and trying to be like a model feminist right and so you're you're constantly on edge and you're all this pressure is on you so when you see a fellow feminist or another woman step out of line it's that much more you feel that much more obligated to say something 
I think uh, I, I'd like to go to one of the examples you used earlier to kind of yes. explore this better. Ghostbusters, right? Or, and mm -hmm, Charlie's right. Angels, the reboots. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not mm -hmm. Charlie's Angels because that was already a female-led property. So mm -hmm. like Ghostbusters because you suddenly turn a traditionally very male depiction, like a, a male narrative, a male story, and then you put four hilarious women um, at the forefront especially with the whole idea, you know, women can't be funny, blah, blah, blah. And okay, the thing is, I thought it was great that we're doing a female Ghostbusters. I thought that was awesome. The movie was bad, but like in an enjoyable way, you know, yeah. like these, these are, I mean, like obviously my taste might be very different from yours, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, even though it wasn't like, it's not peak cinema, but then you're as a feminist you're kind of like i was on guard a little bit when looking at criticism of it because mm -hmm. you're never sure if the person behind the criticism is doing it because they really thought the movie was bad and here are the points to support it or if they didn't right. even give it a fair shot right because it has four women and they're ruining my childhood which brings us back to the point of you know people who are against uh, people who want to attack the Ghostbusters reboot from a malicious standpoint with regards to feminism can always just say it's a, you know, it can take the, your, your fair opinion of it's a bad movie and reframe it to, oh, it must be a bad movie because it's for women, right? Yeah, the, the issue really is when you make the assumption that it's misogyny behind, right, behind right. The, the criticism because... I mean, obviously, the whole, using the woman card isn't always good either because, you know, there are women with internalized misogyny. That's like just because mm -hmm. a woman says it doesn't mean it's true or whatever. But yeah, you have to think about that. You have to think about how it's just it's just that extra anxiety. And that sucks because then like you get used to acting or get used to assuming that people are acting in bad faith. And right. and because of that, you know, you're 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 more hostile Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't necessarily want to even ascribe this to like woke feminism because mm -hmm. I really, while we were developing this episode, I was really wary about like pinning this on wokeness because as we said, like feminism is a full, it's full of different people with different views um, on different ideas on how to get equality, right? I think, and, yeah, I yeah. think that's also why it's so dangerous because I feel like the author of that video uh, was ascribing to woke feminism, right? Is the pushback that she's feeling, she's the pushback that the author is feeling from what she sees as a kind of feminism that ex is excluding her from the conversation, right? Uh, a form of feminism that is silencing her. She goes on, it, she, she says, uh, we apparently don't realize the years of brainwashing we've undergone, uh, calling this version of feminism sort of condescending, right? And, yeah. and what you were saying earlier, not being accepting of uh, legitimate criticism because they're constantly on the defense. Uh, but yeah, this, this whole attitude towards women extends to sex work, right? How they twist their rhetoric uh, extends to sex work. And I know we've talked about this several times already on, on past podcasts, but it's worth, worth revisiting today. As porn activists see it, porn and sexual assault were but different points on a single continuum of sexual violence. The key difference 
was that there was an entrenched financial interest behind pornography and to a lesser extent prostitution. It's the same same old thing we keep on hearing again and again. The difference between prostitution and battery, incest, and rape is that there's nothing like the money in pornography and prostitution, says Melissa Farley, a clinical psychologist and the founder of the San Francisco-based prostitution research uh, and education. Uh, what's worse, they say, is that assuming sex workers have a choice in their profession implies they signed up for the abuse and other mistreatments to which they are often exposed. Uh, okay, let's let's try to let's try to unbox this right now, okay? Because it's coming from this is coming from Melissa Farley, who says, you know, like have the agency no sex work, sex work bad. She's like sex work bad, but then she she goes on to say that. Uh, what they're saying assumes that sex workers have a choice, uh, having, a, having a choice in their profession implies that they signed up for the abuse and other mistreatments uh, to which they are often exposed. That's a, uh, there's a lot to unbox. I think that's there. a very black and white thinking situation. Right, right. A very black and white thinking situation. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's like, okay, sex work because of this equals this. And there is no other in between. There is mm -hmm. no other color except mm -hmm. it's bad or good. And, you know, we, we all, at least in this podcast, we know that, you know, nothing is black and white ever. Right, right. Because as this, as you mentioned earlier, we're talking about nuances in, in, in how we talk about sex. And, and it can extend to literally everything in such a way in a, like, nuances of every situation, whether it be sex work, feminism, whether it be anti the anti-porn movement, you know, it will always have that 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 great that gray area is always gonna be made of nuance. So how how mm -hmm. how, how is Melissa Farley to say that like it's this um it's this horrible, horrible thing when she right. has she accounted for literally every single sex worker's like experience, right. you know? And she has a blanket statement saying that Right. The only difference between uh, prostitution, battery, incest, and rape is that there's no money, right? That the, the only difference is the, the transaction of money involved. All right. So um, I have some Twitter mutual friend people mm -hmm. who are sex workers, and they're always talking about how, yes, there are some times that they are mistreated as sex workers, but for a lot of them, it's actually a more common experience to have been harassed at their vanilla jobs and mm -hmm. in fact the harassment that they experienced at vanilla jobs like mm -hmm. being a waitress for example um, or being an assistant to somebody they were actually exposed to even more violence and harassment from like their superiors from clients from other people in the workplace and it was either no different or worse there because at mm -hmm. least in sex work you have that um especially as you go through it you, you learn to to draw boundaries you're able to screen your clients you're able to create you know, uh, more safeguards for yourself, unlike in a vanilla job where you can't really always put your foot down, you know, and, and it's like, again, the same kind of abuse. Women are subject to all of these things, no matter what job you work, okay. you know, even if you work in a call center, even if you work at Jollibee, even if you work at like, no matter where you work, you are vulnerable to these things. And you don't sign up for it anywhere else. You don't sign up for it when you work retail or, you work a restaurant. That's right. Uh, let's go over real quick about how they use statements that you you agree with. Statements where you're like, yeah, yeah, that, that makes absolute sense to get you on board with their point. How the, how they play their rhetoric out. Okay. Um, she goes on to say, slaves have been blamed for their own enslavement. Remember, this is the woman we don't agree with. Slaves have been blamed for their own enslavement. Okay, check. Children 
have been blamed for provoking their own sexual abuse. Check. And women in prostitution have been blamed. Three statements that we, we all agree with. But then uh, she argues that biological extension, Me Too, must include prostitutes and porn actresses. Our worst nightmares are their daily experiences, given that the nature of their work constantly puts them at risk for harassment, unwanted sexual advances, and rape. And I think Trisha just talked to that point, right? So they wrap things that we agree with with things that are a little a little black and white. And, and this goes back to what Trisha said earlier, how like we equate or we we put sexuality and violence in the same box mm-hmm. and then extend it over to like literally everything that, that can be extended over into. It's like mm-hmm. it's not, as you said, black and white. And as mm-hmm. as I said, black and white. There's so much more to it, so much more nuance. Well, I mean, if you want a more nuanced conversation on feminism and sex work, we're not going to dive too deep into this now, but we did Mm -hmm. dedicate an entire episode to this topic. So if you want to catch more of our take on that and also hear from a sex worker herself and um, a person with a degree (laughs) in uh, an actual real degree in, um, like, you know, sex trafficking and how we talk about these. these topics so mm-hmm. we have that up i believe on spotify already and you can also check it out on youtube and facebook all right that is it for part one of how we talk about sex make sure to stay tuned for part two where we'll talk about sexual misconduct and puritines <laughs>